And a, a real joy, friends, to be with you. Thank you all for coming this evening. And um, thank you for having me to be your speaker. I'm an old man now. I'm sorry you have to look at a poor old man like me. And just a year and a little bit, I'll be 80. But I go to Romania in... Um, I was in Romania in January with a dear brother, Eric Scott from Edinburgh. He's 87, and he's still going. He was in India, and then he was in somewhere else. And so uh, I keep thinking, well, I'm getting old, and then you find some. And I visit an old man of 103, and he still loves the Lord at 103 and talks about his faith. But thank you all for coming. This morning it was a joy again to speak to different ones, lovely to see you all and bless you for coming um, and talking about what it means and uh, the difficult days that lie ahead when we lose our life's companion. As I have done, as some of you have done, you're walking the same road that I'm walking and it isn't easy. We don't like it. We miss our loved ones our life's companion. I don't like that word. Well, it's okay, but that word partner, it used to be okay to say my partner, but it's got a different connotation these days. Uh, I like to speak about a companion. And um, <clears throat> Joyce, she was, uh, she loved it here at um, at um, Sunbridge. And, but I was talking this morning to Walter, remember Olga? And uh, we were talking about this and talking about um, Horatio Bonner. He was asked, do our loved ones who've gone before miss us? He lost his wife, I think, when he was only in his 60s. Uh, and that great, godly, evangelical statesman Horatio Bonner wrote so many beautiful hymns. He was asked, do our loved ones miss us? Oh, he said, I'll, I'll need to think about that and go to the scriptures. I'll let you know. So they came back to him after a week or two. Uh, Mr. Bonner, Reverend Bonner, uh, have you thought about our question? Yes, he said, I have. What do you think? He said, I think it's true to say they do miss us, but not as we miss them. See, the, the Bible says the Lord shall wipe away every tear from their eyes. So although we miss them, uh, they don't miss us. They do miss us in the same way. They don't miss us the same way as we miss them. And then he went on to say, and I thought it was good, um, that when he saw his wife, when he too was called home to be with Christ, which is far better, she would be so pleased to see him. But she'll say, darling, I'm so glad to see you, but I've got to tell you first how wonderful it is to be up here. I'm with the Lord Jesus every day, and I'll, I don't get old, and I don't have any more pain. She was so excited. He said she will be so excited to tell me of the glories that await us in heaven. And I thought that was worth repeating and worth, um, worth saying. Lovely to have you all here, as I say, and thank you so much for having me to be your, your speaker this weekend. I won't be long this evening. Thank you for praying for me. I'm not a young man, as I say, anymore. In January, I was in um, Romania. I've got a sort of a vision to go out there, and it takes a lot of doing. I, I, I'm not, I don't have the energy I used to have, but in January, about 85 lovely, lovely young Christian men 
I serve among brethren assemblies. They're a special kind of brethren. They're different groups of them. The brethren there are strongly premillennial in their teaching, strongly gospel-orientated, and uh, I like working with them very, very much. So about 78, I think it was, young men, they really, really love the Lord, the young people of Romania. And I go back again. Uh, my flights are all booked for um, July, <clears throat> and I go then for a camp in the mountains called Fagarasha, uh, right up in the hills, beautiful place. Romania, you may know, is a very beautiful country. It's a big country. I think there are seven international airports in Romania. It's not a small country. It's a big country, a very beautiful country. And the brethren, they have this lovely campsite. Uh, well, it's very primitive. They're under canvas. Uh, I'm not under canvas. They put a little hut up for me and for some of the leaders. We get spoiled, but there is uh, the, most of the youngsters are under canvas. And there are bears in the woods around the camp. In Romania, they have bears. Now, I would love to see one, but the, the parents sometimes come up in the day to see their young people, you see, and they say, oh, Brother, brother Paswell, we saw bears on the... On the, on the, and I, I walk the same road and I never see them, so whether they don't like me or what, I don't know. And I sometimes say to the young people, I hope I don't meet a bear. I wouldn't like to meet a bear. And they say, Brother Passmore, don't worry about them. They only want to give you a big hug. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, perhaps you'll remember in prayer as in um, July I go one more time. I don't know how many times I'll be able to go, but I go to Romania. And God is at work in Romania in a marvelous way. The young people there... Uh, some of them go from Romania over the border into Russia in their old broken-down cars, rusted-out cars, and the, the headlamps are hanging out, and they get an old car, and they go into Russia, and they drive along the south of Russia to Mongolia, to the capital of Mongolia, which I'll have to see if I can say it right, Alabahat, something like that, Alabat. It's a strange name. But in that great city... Uh, of Mongolia, there are a number of very, very vibrant Christian communities, and these young people go uh, and they witness there. They take children's meetings, and they, they, I've really got very interested in the in what the young Romanians are doing. Um, so, thanks. I just thought I'd let you know. Um, I'm not rusting out just yet. That the Lord seems to keep me going busy. When I was at Cliff College, they used to say. Better to burn out than rust out, brother, they used to say. But I've found a good answer to that. The Lord doesn't want you and me to burn out. That's true. Rust out or burn out. He wants us to last out, right? That's the great thing. And that's what I'm praying I'll be able to do for a little bit longer yet. So thank you so much for your welcome. And a special joy to work alongside your dear pastor, Philip and Judith, of course, and what lovely little children, grandchildren they've got. Uh, I've been really thrilled. Thanks for your welcome. It's good to be here. Now, I want to turn your thoughts just briefly this evening to Genesis 4 and verse 1, and then a, a balancing uh, read, reading from a well-known passage in Paul's letter to the Ephesians. Genesis chapter 4 and at verse 1. Now, Adam <clears throat> knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain. 
and said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. They were thrilled with their little boy. And she bore again, this time Abel or Abel. Now Abel grew up to be a keeper of sheep. Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. And Abel also brought of the firstling of his flock and their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry, and his countenance fell. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door, and its desire is for you, but you shall rule over it. Now Cain talked with Abel his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and killed him. The Lord said to Cain, Where is your Abel your brother? And he said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? He was telling a lie. And the Lord said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. So now you are cursed from the earth, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you till the ground, it shall no longer yield its fruit to you. A fugitive and a vagabond you shall be in the earth. And Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Will you turn forward then if you're following in your Bibles? It's nice to see some of you are To Paul's letter to the Ephesians. It's a very well-known passage. Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2 and verses 1 to 9. And you hath he made alive who were dead in the past, in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, that's Satan, the devil, the spirit, Satan, who now works in the sons or children of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature, by heredity, by our birth, by nature, the children of wrath, just as the others. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, has made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Well-known expressions here, not of works, lest any man should boast. I thought this evening we'd have just a brief study in origins. 
how important it is that we find our way back to the beginning of things, rather like a doctor who has to make a diagnosis. He knows that he must find out what the cause, the origin of the complaint of his patient. If he gets the diagnosis wrong, nothing the doctor does can help the patient, only make things worse. So he studies to find out what is the cause, the origin. Why do we live in a world like ours? What is the origin of sin? What is the origin of this word religion? I don't like that word. Do you? I always disclaim the word. I say I'm not a religious person. I think religion, I don't know anybody that wants religion. Do you? Religion is a boring thing. Religion is a violent thing. I think it's been a great enemy to mankind. You might be interested to know, and some of you will already know this, I know, that the word religion comes just four times in the New Testament, not in the Old Testament. And it's always a negative connotation. Paul speaks of how he lived in the religion of the Jews, but left it. But one instance of the word religion is good. It's in James, pure religion, and undefiled before God the Father is to visit the fathers and widows in their affliction and keep ourselves unspotted from the world. But the general thought in our Bible is that God is not in favor of religion. It's a, it, it's a negative thing. Christians mistakenly accept the put-down that uh, secularism calls us religious people. It's because they don't understand that we follow a living person, right? So they say, oh, well, they're religious, you see. It's a put-down that dismisses the faith of the believer. But we're going to look at the origin of religion, the origin of salvation, and I won't belong. Now, it has been stated, brothers and sisters, that all the world's religious systems and mankind is incurably religious. Everywhere we go in the world, we see symbols and temples and idols that tell us that man, the human species, is, a, uh, is incurably religious. It has been stated that all the religious systems of the world can be spelled with two letters. All comes down to two letters. D-O. Do. But salvation is spelt with four letters, D-O-N-E. All the world's religions, two letters. It's all about do. God's salvation, four letters. It's all about done. The believer is saved and redeemed as he rests and she rests upon a finished work. I like the little couplet, I hope I can remember it properly. When you get old like me, you forget things. Upon a life I did not live. Upon a death I did not die. Another life, another death, I stake my whole eternity. That's the germ of New Testament's Bible salvation. We trust not in something that's doing, but something that is done, a finished work as the Savior cried from Calvary. It is finished. Some have wondered if that cry was a cry of dereliction and despair. I am finished. I don't think that's what it meant on Good Friday. It is finished. I'm done for. I think he was thinking about that. What he was saying is, it is finished. I've done it. 
he had completed and shed the last drop of his precious blood. And friends, the blood of Jesus Christ was the blood of God. Now, we haven't time to study this. But his blood was supernaturally donated at his conception of the Holy Spirit. And uh, there's chemistry and hematology, they call it, don't they, in there. Now, we haven't time to think about that. But how wonderful that we rest upon a finished work. There is a wonderful work verse in the, the New Testament passage we read, a double statement, for by grace are ye saved. Through faith, a double statement. God's grace, my faith. That's how we're saved. God's grace, my faith. Now, you've all heard before, grace. G-R-A-C-E, God's riches at Christ's expense. Sometimes we announce this in the open-air meetings in uh, Lancashire. And then faith, forsaking all, I trust him. Paul, in this New Testament passage, boldly and without any shame describes the helpless and hopeless state of an unredeemed sinner and he speaks of it we in the old life that he lived he said we walked according to the course of this world we were under satanic influence we were controlled by the lusts of the flesh by nature we were children of wrath wrath just like others Friends, the Bible teaches me that I was born and you were born with our backs to God. I was not born right with God. I was born out of fellowship with God. I was born a sinner. We might say we were born needing to be born again, right? We are born, this is what the Bible teaches us and the origin of our lives. And then in verse 12, of Ephesians 2. What an awful statement is there at the end of verse 12, if you're following in your Bible. Having no hope and without God in the world. What a terrible indictment upon the natural man in Adam. We're born not in Christ, but in Adam. When we're saved, we're in Christ then. But God sees us by nature and by birth, sinners, in Adam, and we are without God and without hope in the world. Yesterday afternoon, I visited a neighbor. He's dying of cancer, Keith. Perhaps you'll pray for him. He lives well, not just next door, two doors away. And when Joyce passed away, he, uh, he uh, was in the street. I met him, didn't say much. I don't like saying this. After Joyce passed away, you see, I live in a little village where I was the pastor. Everybody knows me. Do you know I saw people cross over when I was walking up the village? See, they don't know what to say. I didn't mind. It hurt a little bit. People who are friends, people I know. A lady wrote in a magazine I get from America. Her husband died, I think it was on a Friday or a Saturday. And then he was buried on the Monday or Tuesday... And she thought the next Sunday, I'll pull myself together. I'll go to the house of God. And I'll go to the Lord's house where her loved one had fellowshiped and worshipped. And she went. And when she got home, she sat down. And she thought, nobody spoke to me. Nobody said anything. Nobody said a word to me. See, 
They don't know what to say. Isn't that sad? Just to say, been thinking of you, love. How are you doing? And of course, in the Christian community, we have so many good things to say. Well, I just, I don't like saying those things, but a little word for us. When people are hurting, and it was hard, everybody knew me. I didn't want to go out, and I thought, that's not good, not good not going out. And my children, well, they're all busy doing something like their dad. I've been busy all my life too. They're just the same. But I went to see Keith. Yeah, yes, uh, yesterday, a man, oh, when Joyce passed away, I said to him, because I promised the Lord that I wouldn't say that Joyce had died, I'd tell people that she was with the Lord, and I've always done that. I said, she's with the Lord, we're Christian people. When I told him, he said, oh, you have religion, you're religious, like that, and he quickly walked on. I went to see him, he's dying. His wife is more open, but I saw a man without God, without hope. His future, a hole in the ground. Beyond that hole, an eternity without Jesus Christ. Hope, no future. The word hope means future expectation, as I was mentioning this morning. Friends, what an awful end of a sinner's life without God. What an awful waste of life without God and without hope. We might as well face it. We need God's salvation. And so Paul continues to speak of the sinner's life and the sinner's terminus. But then he says, but, it's in verse 8, sorry, in verse 4, but God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, has made us alive together with Christ. But God. Paul uses that lovely but many, many times. But God. And how wonderful, friends, that uh, the Lord found a way to redeem us. And if you look forward into 1 Corinthians chapter 6, or look back, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, there's a lovely, another one of Paul's buts. At 1 Corinthians chapter 6, very important chapter about human sexuality and the believer. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and from verse 9. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, homosexuals, or sodomites, or paramours, ones they use, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, revilers, nor extortioners, will inherit the kingdom of God, and such were some of you. He's preaching to the believers in the congregation in Corinth, and he says, you were these people once, such were some of you, but you're washed. You were sanctified, You are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of God. Thank the Lord for the great buts. And Cliff College, there was an old preacher. He used to say, Jesus can save from the guttermost to the uttermost. And I believe it. And Paul could say to them, you used to live this way. He said it to the Ephesians. Says it to the Corinthians and enumerates their sins of the flesh. And he says, but... You are washed and you're sanctified. Like the old hymn says, love found 
away to redeem my soul. Turn to Genesis. I'll just share this with you quickly. Genesis chapter 3, chapter 4 and verse 3. Uh, I promised you a little study in origins. Chapter 4 and verse 3. And in the process of time, we've read this, it came to pass that Cain, he's the first human ever born. Adam wasn't born. Eve wasn't born. They were created by the Lord. In the process of time, Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. First of all, the Lord must have been in the Garden of Eden. He accepted sacrifices to him. They went into the presence of God. They went out of the presence of God. Did you know there's a little Hebrew word, shakan? Shakan, it's in the Hebrew Bible. The word refers to a dwelling or a tent. You know in John 1.14, the, 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 the word became flesh and dwelt. It's the same word in the Hebrew Bible as in the Greek Bible. The Lord tabernacled in Eden, and they went into his presence, and they came out of his presence, and you remember they were excluded from his presence and sent out of the garden. So the Lord was in the Garden of Eden. He was there with the creation that he had made and loved. Cain, he brought the fruit of the ground. Big mistake, big blunder. God had cursed the ground. He brought the fruit of the ground. You see, Cain was a tiller, we read it, of the ground. He was a farmer. He thought, I will bring the fruit of the ground, vegetables. Okay? Uh, no. Vegetables did not prefigure and look forward to the Lamb of God, who would have to shed his blood to redeem sinners like you and me. What a big blunder Cain made, and he was without excuse. Cain must have thought, my hard work and my efforts, I've dug the ground, God, you'll be pleased with what I've done. I worked so hard, the sweat of my brow, and uh, he thought, here it is, I'm going to bring the fruit of the ground and I will bring this, my offering, what I think. And the world still thinks the same. Here is the origin of religion, as I explained, two letters, do. Cain trusted his own works and his own efforts to please God. A big blunder they're still making i witness to people i'm sure you do lovely to be with philip and to hear about your open air work i go to an open air meeting on a saturday when i'm free university city of lancaster and i play the accordion too in the open air um uh, i don't get any money but i play the accordion uh, play the accordion in the open air and uh, very often they'll say Oh, yes, oh, very interesting. Thank you for the trust. But you see, my idea of religion is, see how they go? Me, what I think. That's how Cain, here is the origin of religion. It's do, my thoughts, my idea. So Cain was too kind of heart to kill a lamb. But he wasn't too kind of heart to kill his brother. 
What happened next? They went out into the field, and Cain, out of jealousy, killed Abel. Later in the Bible, we read, not because Abel was wicked, but because Abel was righteous. He was jealous of him, and he killed his brother. But let's just go back to the the narrative here. Cain brought the fruit of the ground, but in verse 4, Abel also brought, listen, of the the firstborn of his flock, and it's a singular one, and their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering, and Cain was very angry, and his countenance fell. How did Abel know to bring a lamb that was blessed of God? Turn to Hebrews if you have your Bible with you. Chapter 11, which has got the New Testament um, commentary on so many of these wonderful Old Testament things. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 4. I'll read it for you. If you haven't brought your Bible, it's okay. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 4. By faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. That's what we've read. Through which he obtained witness that he was righteous. Justification by faith. We've seen the origin of religion. Do. Here is the origin of salvation. It's by faith, by blood. Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and through it he being dead still speaks. Look up to the beginning of the verse. By faith Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice. Now we know from Scripture and experience that faith comes by hearing. Hearing by the word of God. Faith, again, isn't my invention. Faith comes from obeying and acting upon the word of God. Isn't that true? Putting into action what God says. Faith, and we act in faith upon God. So where did Cain hear? Faith comes by hearing. Who told him? Well, most commentators say it's pretty obvious. Adam. And Eve, mum and dad, must have instructed the two boys, Cain and Abel, and taught them God's way of salvation. And was it on Friday night we saw um, Genesis 3.21, the Lord God clothed our father Adam with the, the bloodied skins of an animal, covered their, uh, their, their, their nakedness, their sin, uh, typified by their nakedness. And so it was that Abel, he took the message of salvation, the message of faith that his parents, Adam and Eve, had, had taught him. So here we have Adam's gospel, the way of salvation. Abel brought the firstling of the flock, and that little lamb, the firstling of the flock that Abel brought in obedience to the word of God, the way of salvation, was acceptable um, with God. And because of it, Cain slew him. How cruel is religion. So here we have the origin of two things. Salvation, D-O, sorry, works, religion, D-O, and salvation, done. 
all the religions of the world have different offerings they bring and different ways and different religions, but they're all the same. They're about man, his salvation, his idea, his works, his efforts, and his ideas. And here we have the origins of religion and salvation. Abel took God's way. Abel took the way God had predicted. Cain took the way that he invented. One was by faith, the other by works. One was religion, the other was Christ. One, Cain, human merit. Abel, God's grace. One, two letters. The other, four letters. And there has never been anything but those two ways. The first creative act of God after the creation of Adam and Eve, the first act of God was the shedding of the blood of that lamb with whose skins he covered our father Adam. The first thing God did was to provide a way back to himself and it was the way of substitution and blood. When I was a little lad, oh, that's a long time ago now, when I was a little lad, we used to go camping. Do you still go to camp from the mission, do you? No. Well, when I was at the mission, we used to camp under canvas. And um, they were great days. Anyway, I won't go on about that when we were at the camp. We used to, when I was a little lad, we used to sing at camp this song. Do you know it? There's a way back to God from the dark paths of sin. There's a door that is opened that you may go in at Calvary's cross where you've got to begin when you come as a sinner to Jesus. How wonderful. Here we have the origin of the world's religions and the sole origin of divine salvation. God provided salvation. The redeeming work of the cross. Cain took man's way. Abel took God's way. Now, I bring this to a close like this. Some years ago, in fact, about nearly three centuries ago, there's a very famous, again, hymn writer of the established church. His name was Augustus Toplady. I'm glad my mum didn't call me Augustus. But it's quite nice, isn't it? In Romania, they have some interesting names. They'll call a little boy Tiberius. I think that's a nice name for a little boy. Do you think so? And they, but they don't call him Tiberius in Romania. They call him Tibby. Abbreviation, you see, like Mickey becomes Mick here. Got it? Well, Augustus Toplady was a, a, a wonderful, faithful theologian, yes. He was a contemporary with Wesley, but he did not agree with Wesley on a number of things. Uh, he was a very strong um, on, uh, yeah, on, on a, on a num number of things. Uh, but they di they disagreed. But he was a great theologian and a great uh, man. And one of his uh, charges was in Somerset, uh, the little village of Cheddar. I've never been there. Do you know I pass it on the motorway? Uh, I'd love one day to have time to go in and see. And you will know the story of Augustus Toplady, the clergyman with his lovely old-fashioned robes on and his clerical garb, being caught in a storm and pulling his cloak around him by the wind and the rain was blowing. And he came across a place he knew in his parish 
where there was a great rock, Cheddar Gorge. And there's a split, a fissure, uh, a rent in, in, in the rock. And he thought, well, it won't last long, this storm. I'll go in there. And the dear old clergyman, he went in and he hid himself. In the, another word for a fissure is a cleft, a split in the rock. And he went inside like this with his collar up like this. And as he sheltered from the storm, he was quite a creative mind. A beautiful hymn that you know came into his mind. Rock of ages, cleft, split for me. Let me hide myself. This is like my salvation. I'm hiding in the rock of it. Let me hide myself in thee. Let the water and the blood from thy riven side which flowed be of sin the double cure. Cleanse me from its guilt, that's one thing, and from its power. What a wonderful hymn Augustus Top Lady wrote. <coughs> but do you remember verse 2? Nothing in my hand I bring. Simply to the cross I cling. Naked come to thee for dress. Helpless look to thee for grace. Foul I to the fountain fly. Wash me, Savior, or I die. Utterly reliant upon the finished work of the cross. See, foul I to the fountain fly. Wash me, Savior, or I die. D-O-N-E. He knew this salvation was done. He just had to rely. He just had to get into the rock. Well, Abel, Cain, see, he said, something in my hand I bring. I'm going to bring God the vegetables I've worked so hard. Something in my hand I bring. Abel, he said, nothing in my hand I bring. My faith is in the Lamb, the substitute. That's the only way I'll be saved. So one speaks of religion, and the other speaks of salvation. Abel's offering in that early day in human history, brought by faith, was accepted. But I want to finish with a little verse that points to something even better than Abel's lamb and the blood that, it, that he shed. Hebrews chapter 12, not chapter 11, but Hebrews 12 and verse 24. Hebrews 12 and 24, and I'll read the verse for you because some of you have your Bibles and that's good, and some, some of you haven't, that's okay. We have come, writes the writer to the Hebrews, to the General Assembly and Church of the Firstborn, I guess that's the Lord Jesus, who are registered in heaven. Our names are written there. They're registered. I'm in the book of the registration. Christian, you know, don't you, that your name, when you gave your heart to Christ, was inscribed in the Lamb's Book of Life. I think there are four different books spoken of. There's the book which God wrote. There's the Book of Life, but there's the Lamb's Book of Life. And I don't know. I'm unresolved. I think that the Lamb's Book of Life is his personal inventory of those who love him and trust him. I think that's right. And here it says, the, first, the church of the firstborn, Jesus Christ, who are registered 
in heaven, to God the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect, and we have come by faith to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. You see, Cain's blood cried to the ground for vengeance. God said, where is your, where, he says to Cain, where is your brother? Now, I don't know. He tried to tell a lie to God. He says, your brother's blood cries to me from the ground. Abel's blood cried vengeance. But the blood of Jesus cries mercy, right? So the blood of Jesus speaks better things than that which happened in the time of Abel. Let's thank the Lord tonight for the precious blood of Jesus Christ. From the dawn of human life, Abel brought that which God accepted. And Cain, he took the way of religion, the do. And Abel took the way of the done. Shall we just have a prayer together? Thank you for listening. Lord, we recall again as we've been thinking of that cry of triumph that went up from Calvary. It is finished. We thank you for the finished work of the cross. We may add nothing to it. We can add nothing to it. Nothing. Nothing can we bring in our hand. We just simply cling to the cross. As the old hymn writer said, we thank you for our salvation. It's all of grace. And when we get to heaven, we shall not be patting ourselves on the back and saying, I deserve to be here. We'll be singing of the glories of Jesus, the Lamb that was slain. Praise the Lord. Amen. Thank you. You got a song for us? Yes. Good lad. All right. You, you got a song. That's, that's good. Lord, just give you thanks, Lord, for this service tonight. We're meeting with you, Lord. Thank you for speaking to us. Thank you for your words through through Alec, Lord. We know the origins of sin and, and religion, but the origin of faith. And we have the hope living in us, who is Christ, and uh, who died for our sins. And we, by faith, came to know uh, him as our Lord and our Saviour. We give you thanks, Lord. Help us to live in that knowledge both tonight and tomorrow and the days to come, Lord. We give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.